You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Um, wasn't Easter awesome last week? It was great. Um, we had a great weekend. Um, Good Friday was a, a powerful time of seeing so many people put their confessions uh, before the Lord and just worshiping together and focused on the cross um, to then come on Sunday and hear this message of hope and uh, just to hear all these amazing stories of, of resurrection happening all around us and among us. And um, it, it's profound. Uh, a resurrection is so important. Um, it's so important because it's revolutionary. It is reality altering. I mean, we just, we, we can't speak about it enough. I mean, it is so big and it is such a part of our season. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's hard to put it into words as to how big of an impact resurrection has on our lives, on our world. Um, I mean, it's, there, there's really no comparison. I was trying to like come up with a comparison. I asked my wife, she was like, mm, it's like the, the new season of the crown. And I was like, I don't know if that holds weight. Uh, but she was like, I'm being funny. Um, I guess it would be like closest to like a baby coming. Like, gosh, when you like for us who have had a baby, uh, it changes your world. You know, like you're never the same. Um, but it's even more so than that. I mean, resurrection is so big. It's so big that we just can't talk about it enough. We can't spend enough time talking about it. In fact, the, uh, our, our high church brothers and sisters, um, they have seven weeks of Easter. So, so it's, it's Easter Sunday, and then today is the second week of Easter, and then it goes to the third week of Easter and the fourth week of Easter all the way till Pentecost, and I imagine even part of the reason that the Holy Spirit waits before he comes is so that people can just wrestle with this idea that Jesus is alive, Jesus has come back from the grave, and it is something to celebrate. Um, it's such an amazing story. It's so powerful. And so... That's what we're going to continue to do today for just another week. We're just going to talk a little bit about resurrection. Um, last week, we had, you know, such a great message of hope. And so I just want to take it a little bit further and talk about what resurrection is. And to do that, we're going to read our Bibles. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is a whole chapter about resurrection. And uh, as I was kind of processing what, what to share and praying this week, um, thought about talking about stories and, you know, this idea of just first fruits, um, that, that God is up to something new in resurrection, um, just kept coming to mind. And so I really dove into this chapter. Um, if you have your Bibles, anybody bring their Bible? Good for you. Page or pixel, I guess. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 is a, it's a, it's a long chapter. There's uh, 58 verses, I believe. I could be wrong, uh, somewhere around there. And it's extremely long, and there is a lot of stuff in here. 
And I'm not gonna read through all of it. We're gonna read a lot of it. I'm gonna skim through parts of it and I might even skip a couple, I'm going to skip a couple verses here and there. But I just encourage you this week to maybe sit down, maybe divert from one of your normal um, devotionals and read through it. Um, There are some just amazing texts that will really twist your mind and make you think from you know, some salvation stuff to uh, baptism for the dead to um, this talk of different types of bodies. And I mean, it is so filled with so much, but there are three things that I want us to take away from today. Three things. They are the reality of resurrection, the relevance of resurrection, and the ramifications of resurrection. The reality, the relevance, and the ramifications. And in case you didn't notice, today's service is brought to you by the letter R. <laughs> I'm a huge uh, Sesame Street fan, anybody? I don't know what it is about pastors and their like dumb alliterations, but I'm hooked, I love it. I just, I can't get enough. Um, <laughs> The reality of the resurrection. You guys ready? All right, let me pray one more time. I just feel like it's right. Um, God, these are, these are your words through Paul and uh, written down by somebody else and translated through other people. And now it comes to us and we just acknowledge that you're behind all of it and you're big enough to speak to all of us through whatever we have. Would you just have your way? Just like you did in worship, just like you did in praying for people, let your text move and, and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The reality of resurrection is so important. Let's start reading just right from the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when you received and on which you have taken your stand, which some of you guys did last week. You heard the gospel presented and you took a stand on it, and that's awesome. And by this gospel, you were saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That is a unique phrase right there. What is he saying? He's saying that the tomb is empty and that it happened. It is real. Amen. Amen. Right? I think this is like incredibly important for us to like really grasp onto. What is our faith based on? Is it based on eloquent teaching? Is it based on a book? No, it's based on an event. Something that actually took place. Something that actually happened. And there is just an incredible amount of evidence for it. 
Peter saw it. The disciples saw it. After that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. 500 people at one time. A lot of people think this probably happened in Galilee. Maybe where he had like a huge following. He did a lot of his ministry there. Remember the disciples are told, go to Galilee. He's going to meet you there. 500 people at one time. And he says, and most of whom are still living, are still living. Oftentimes we'll read in the Bible and there'll be this like weird moment where they'll, be, they'll say like, ah, oh, this guy who was a brother of this person, who was related to this person. Why do they put all those details in there? Because it is, it is the author saying, hey, come fact check me, right? There are 500 people. Most of them are still alive. You should go talk to them. I'm telling you, this happened. And then most of all, trust me. Paul's right. I, trust me. I saw the risen Jesus. Why is that such a big deal for Paul? He was persecuting the church. I was persecuting. I was against this whole thing. And Paul, in, in, you know, you read his writing, he's a pretty pretty uh, uh, sharp dude. Um, he was very well trained. I mean, he was a very, very passionate Jew. And he thought this was a huge problem for his faith that he grew up and spent his whole life being a part of. And he shifted because he experienced something. He experienced the risen Jesus. He interacted with him. He persecuted the church. Trust me, the evidence is overwhelming. The evidence, I mean, there's so much that we could say about the resurrection. If you read the Gospels, um, and if you, in one of my seminary classes, you take the four Gospels and you read each account of the resurrection. And if, you, if you've ever done this, you will see that every Gospel has some different details about what happened. Um, it, uh, the number of people who are there changes from time to time. Um, the, uh, where, where an angel is, one, in one account there is no angel, one account the angel's inside the tomb, one account the angel's on top of a rock. And when you kind of read through it, and a lot of people would look at it and they would point and they'd be like, there's something fishy about this. But let me tell you that actually the opposite is true. You see, the followers of Jesus could have corrected that. They could have tried to change it. They could have tried to get their story straight, but they didn't. Why? Because they all developed in unique perspectives. It, it gives more credibility to something happening. When a car drove through this building, okay, Todd had one different experience from over there. I had a different experience from up above. Some of you had a different experience of just hearing from it. But I'm telling you, we might describe it differently, sounds, what happened, all, all those little details, but I'm telling you, those all paint a better picture that something did happen. There is a difference between scientific proof and legal historical proof. 
my, my brothers and sisters, we have come under great attack through a lot of people in academia and our young people are growing up and they are going off to college and they have no concept of how to defend their faith because people say things like, you cannot scientifically prove to me that the resurrection happened. Duh, you can't. Because scientific proof means that there is some type of repeatable experiment that I have to be able to do in order to prove something to you. So I can scientifically prove gravity. I can just keep picking something up and dropping it. I can test different things, and I can show you, hey, there's something going on with gravity. Now, probably uh, there's another element of physics that might disprove some of that. But that is scientific proof. I cannot put Jesus back in the tomb. I can't put him back on the cross and re-crucify him and have it all happen again. So scientific proof is not relatable to this. But now is there legal historical proof? Yeah. Is there evidence? Is there witnesses? Yes. And it goes on and on. So what does that mean? It means that the reality of the resurrection means that Jesus is who he says he is. The gospels are reliable. We can read about his life. We can come to know Jesus and we can follow him and we can worship him and we can place our hope in him like we talked about last week because our faith is not in just hearsay. It's based on an event. It's based on the reality of the resurrection. Do we really believe do we really believe? I, me personally, I believe. I do. I believe. But then there's times when I'm like, eh. It's, it's hard. It's hard. And this is very natural. I mean, let's just let's be totally fair. Uh, we often can, can shame some of our doubt in our experiences. But John the Baptist, who saw who baptized Jesus, baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit ascend onto Jesus. Later on when he's in prison, sends his followers to go just confirm one more time. Are you still the guy? And it's like, dude, you saw us. And, and Jesus is very patient with him. Okay, it's a very natural thing for us. But for those who experience it, for those who have, who have seen it, who realize it's a reality, it impacts how we live, or at least it should. How do we as people deal with the anxieties of our world? How do we deal with death? How do we deal with viruses in light of resurrection? I had a friend tell me, he's like, when did Christians stop, start fearing death? It's not that we're naive. We value life. We want to be alive. We want to be healthy. That's a good thing. But we don't fear death because the reality of the resurrection. We need to know resurrection and we need to experience resurrection because resurrection has incredible relevance. It's relevant to everything. It's relevant, I mean, for Paul, it was everything. Without the resurrection, if, if, if preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? He seems like he's answering some people who are doubting and, and maybe saying some things that were contrary to what he taught these people. If there's no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. 
and, and just look at the different words he uses to make the point of how relevant this thing is. And he's kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek here. You're, then, then our preaching is useless. Then we're liars. We're false witnesses. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then you're lost. In fact, more than that, all of you who are wasting your time here, you should be pitied. What fools, right? Paul really knows how to make a point here. And, and I think he's trying to really kind of point out, like, no. Like, how can you say all this? Like, everything you've experienced, all those stories we heard, would really mean nothing. Resurrection had so much relevance to Paul and to the first Christians that look at how they describe death. Fallen asleep. They describe death completely differently. They didn't say, hey, you know, now he's out of the body, now he's somewhere else, or, or you know, however you want to describe it. The soul is now free. That is not a Christian concept. What Paul's saying is he, he, he equates it to taking a nap, waiting for Christ to return. All he's doing is he's going to sleep. He's going to wake up, and, and, and she's going to wake up. The people we've lost, they have only fallen asleep because they are coming back to life. They are waiting for resurrection when Christ returns. What else does he say? It talks about first fruits. First fruits, beginning of a harvest that God is up to something new. I was thinking about the first fruits a lot because um, this was kind of the, the passage that I went hunting for this chapter. And what's fascinating about first fruits, okay, is that um, as Paul would understand it, is that there's a command in, in Leviticus for, for the people that when you go to take your harvest, the first fruits. The prime thing that shows that a harvest is coming, you are to take and to give to God as an offering. Now, that requires a lot of trust, right? I mean, if we take the first thing that we make and we give it away, do we have anything? We have to wait for more to come, more to grow, right? But what does he say? That Christ, this is God's first fruits, God's demonstration of the harvest that is to come, the harvest that is breaking, breaking in right now. And we are beginning to grow in this first fruits. It is a powerful, powerful idea and it, that God is up to something new and is relevant for our lives right now. It is so relevant for him that he says, I face death every day. Who wants to do that? Who wants to get right back after it, after you've just been stoned, after you've just been uh, uh, dragged out almost dead, after you've been chased, criticized, thrown in jail? I mean, that's a rough life. And, and, and all the disciples, they just continued to just Get after it. They would, angels would rescue them right out of the clutches of prison. And then the next day they'd show up with the changes broken being like, ah, I'm still here. Why? 
Because the resurrection was real. It was so relevant to everything they knew. And new life was breaking out. He says in verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? Right? Why, why would I do such a thing? Why would I fight wild beasts? Now, I've read this a bunch of times in my life. I don't know if you have too, but I always thought like, oh man, like Paul like fought lions or something. That is probably not what happened. Um, Paul, uh, as a Roman citizen, probably wouldn't have been thrown into the games. Um, also in Acts, if, if that would have happened, that might have been something that would have been recorded. Those are some of the different theories. Plus like ravage people are equated to beasts. Babylon is a beastly nation, one that is far from being human and taking on a wholly different image. Who is Paul talking about right here? He's talking about the fact that he fought people. <laughs> people in Ephesus. This is how Paul describes being in ministry, fighting wild beasts. This is now what I'm going to say when people ask me what I do for a living. I fight wild beasts. What kind? The kind at Heritage. (laughs) Just kidding. You guys are not wild beasts. I just complimented you guys earlier. But it is, though. It is. It is. It's tough. I mean, it's, I bet for you guys, it's in relationships and in, in bringing the kingdom everywhere you go at your work. You're fighting wild beasts. They're not, they're, they're not heavenly creatures when they're so fallen and far beyond. I mean, so much of our world is, is, is crazy. It's fallen beasts. That's what he says. It's cre- incredibly relevant. So we have the reality of the resurrection. We believe in an event. It's relevant to our faith because it impacts the way that we live and the ramifications, the ramifications. It's relevant because the ramifications of the resurrection are so important. The consequences of the resurrection, the results of the resurrection, the complex effect of the resurrection. That's all what ramification means. What is the effect? What are the ramifications? Only that all are made alive, right? For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive for those who belong to him. That's huge. Life. How? How will we be made alive? Right? This is a great question. This is a great question. Paul anticipates it, and he, and he has a lot to say about it in this chapter. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Which I feel like is a pretty good question, and I bet all of us have wrestled with it. Paul seems a little short-sighted or a little bit mean when he says how foolish, because it feels like a good question. But what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This This is just a confusing little passage right here that I hope I can break down for us. When you sow... You do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. 
People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Is that clear to anybody else? (laughs) I, I was like, Oh man, I read this so many times. I read a lot of commentaries on it and I think it's just barely beginning to make sense to me. Let me see if I can help you guys understand, right? There's a lot of natural, there's a lot of spiritual and whenever we're reading texts like this, okay, we often come from a 21st century people who have heard many stories about heaven. We often have this idea that God is in this other place. And when we die, we go over there and, you know, we see images of harps and clouds and wings and those kind of things. Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. And let me explain. Okay. First, let me say this. What it is It is God-determined. It is God-determined. But God gives it a body as he has determined. Okay, how does resurrection happen? Well, it happens how God determines it. Okay, what did God do at the very beginning? Very beginning of the Bible. Open the pages, the first thing you see, what does God do? He creates. He creates. He gives life. Okay, so God is going to determine. He decided to design you with a nose and ears and hair that's falling out. Like he, he designed you how he designed you. He designed us as people. We're, we're unique in that. We're image bearers. Okay, there was something unique. But to each kind of seed, now when he's talking about seed, he's talking a lot about order. Like you don't plant a tomato seed and get a wheat grain. There is something unique about it. But it it does have to, it dies and it becomes something, right? But what will it become? This is the first thing that we need to know about resurrection. It's a body. It's a body. It's this. It's not, it's not spirit. It's not, it's not just breath. It's not just, uh, it's, it's not intangible. It's not in the wind. It is physical, Physical resurrection means that you will have a body, which is very good news for a lot of us. Now it says there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Does anybody have a King James Bible in here with you? We were past that. <laughs> oh, there's one right here. What, what does it say for this verse? celestial and terrestrial, okay? What does that mean? Remember, this is, Paul is a good, well-trained Pharisee. He knows the Jewish scriptures left and right. 
when, when Jewish people use the word heaven, they have a totally different worldview than we do today. They did not understand uh, uh, the, the globe as, as the earth being a globe, a rock floating through space. They understood it as the skies that were filled with water and that those were the heavens and there was land and water surrounded everything. And so when they describe heavens, when God created the heavens, they're saying God created the skies. When God created the earth, he created the land. So there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And then what is he, what is he saying? He's recalling creation. He's pointing out the different kinds, birds, uh, another fish. Uh, uh, and and he's, he's calling back to the creation story. And what he's talking about is basically there's just an order of creation, that God has done something in creation. And then he compares it, okay? This is, what, this is what our bodies are compared to. It's compared to the first man, Adam, who became a living being, and the last Adam, a, li- a life-giving spirit. What was the first Adam story? How did things go for him? Not too well, right? <laughs> to put it lightly, okay? What, is God's, what does God say to him? He says, you will return to the dust that I created you from. You were disobedient. The curse of death came with him. So whatever body we got from him, we got one that decays and dies. But the body that we get from Jesus, the last Adam, is a new one. The whole thing has been reversed. Resurrection is broken through, and now there is a life-giving spirit, one that is not perishable, one that lasts. And he contrasts it. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of what? Of Jesus, right? That's the promise. That's the hope that our resurrected bodies will be like Jesus's resurrected bodies. Now, this still opens up a whole nother host of questions for us. But there's good news. We have a decent amount of interactions of Jesus in his resurrected body. This is not like Lazarus coming back to life to die again. This is resurrection. This is not resuscitation. Resurrection, a new body. So what do we know about Jesus? You can, you can, you can search the gospels, but let's just look at just, just Luke 24. What happens with Jesus? Great story. Okay, he's walking along the road and he ends up talking to some of his disciples and his disciples are like rebuking him because they're like, have you heard? Like, there's a lot going on around town right now. And, and, and he, 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 he disappears and then they're like, oh my gosh, wait a minute, that was Jesus. So he, he had a body, he's very human, okay? And then, he, and then they go and they, they get around their friends and they're like, dude, we, we, just, we just saw Jesus. And then Jesus shows up and they're like, is he a ghost? Where, where did he come from? And he's like, touch me. 
touch me, touch my scars. Which is interesting that he still has his scars. I don't know what that means for us and our scars. I have no idea. There's a few scars I hope I don't have. But I have no idea. That's just a mystery. But Jesus had his. Okay, but he, he was touched. It was physical. Thomas was like, I'm not going to believe until I can touch it. He's like, here, touch it. I'm physical. Okay? So he's human. Okay, he's recognizable. They see him. He can be touched. He says, you guys got anything to eat? Let's have some fish. And they broiled some fish. How many of you guys love to eat? Praise Jesus, right? How many of you guys like to eat fish? How many of you guys don't like to eat fish? You're in trouble. <laughs> you might not like heaven. I don't know. I don't know. Does this mean we're going to like carve up cows? Like I want steak. I want bacon. Like, can I have that in heaven? I have no idea. I have no idea. When the resurrection comes, will we be carving up lambs and eating them? I have no idea. But we're eating. Jesus ate. How are we going to have a great celebration, a great feast when Jerusalem enters the earth and heaven and earth are now one and there's a feast of all the nations and everybody gets together and we're celebrating? What are we going to eat if we're not eating? Which brings up a lot more questions, right? Because if you're eating, usually after you... So is there sanitation? I, I just... I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) Have you guys thought about this stuff? This is what we believe. This is the reality. It's quite interesting. I'm just saying, this is is the Bible. This is what the Bible says. He appears and disappears. They're in a locked room and he shows up. That's rad. I want to do that. Do we have like multiple dimensions ability? Like, think no more traffic, just teleporting. I don't know if that's, that's what Jesus did. So obviously his body is bigger and grander and there's something more to it. I, I, I mean, I hope at this point there's more questions than answers, but we're physical, we're body, we're, 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 we're glorified. We're, we're, we're meant to be this way. And Jesus restores it all. This is great news. Incredibly mysterious, but incredibly great news. The ramifications, one more ramification of, that that is is the, the effect of resurrection. But there is an element for right now. And that is the reality that the harvest has come and it is beginning to spring forth. And the sting of death which is sin and the power of sin. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And for some of us, we're healed from the things that that are taking our lives. There are miracles that take place because it's just breaking out. There are sins, there are strongholds that just fall off, right? Some of them take a little bit longer. Some of us, we're all still... Father, time is undefeated so far among us, but not of Jesus, right? Amen, he died. We're up 30 in the fourth quarter. We're just waiting for the clock to run out. 
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Right? In vain means empty, pointless. Right? Like if there's no, if there's no resurrection, it's all in vain. It's all empty. It's all pointless. But because of resurrection... Our work matters. Our, our work, it's important what we do and how we conduct ourselves to reflect resurrection to the world. First Corinthians is a letter that Paul is writing to this group of people and he is, he's basically scolding them. They, they, they're kind of, it's not a, a positive letter among the positive letters. It's more of a rebuke in a lot of ways. And, and it's in chapter 15 that is the culmination of everything that he explains throughout the whole letter. He talks about division. He talks about need, needing to be united. Um, he talks about their sexuality. That, and he equates it to resurrection. How you are as a human being in your sexuality matters because of resurrection. Food, when you're eating, are you just eating just to eat? Is it food for the stomach? Are it like for idols, behavior, to church gatherings? How you're using your gifts? What's being a distraction? What's not being a distraction? Like it all matters. And he's giving all of these different things of do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And then comes to chapter 15 where it's like, because of resurrection, because of resurrection, all of this matters. Resurrection opens up a whole new reality. And it represents, it, it opens up a whole new reality because God's grace has been just unleashed on us. What does he say? Right at the very beginning, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Feels like he's being a little prideful, but he's really not, if you keep reading it, but it just reads funny. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's not all God. It's not like it's uh, someone, uh, one commentary I read, like it's not like there's two horses and one of them's your effort and one of them's God's grace. It's like, no, because of the Holy Spirit in you, in you it's, it's grace and works together. It is just this, it's this dance. And we're invited to participate in it. And God's grace is active, giving you power to, to follow all those instructions. And God's grace, his power is, is bringing you back to life from the inside out. And God's grace makes you a resurrection people. So, what, is it, what do we know about resurrection? It is, it is a reality. It is a reality that we all need to know and experience. It is so relevant because without it, our faith is pointless. And the ramifications are so big, so big. How do you understand resurrection? How do you understand resurrection? We need to be a church that understands it and values it and gets it and emphasizes it every week. Why do Christians meet on a Sunday? Resurrection. Why do I not fear death? Resurrection. Why can I help the sick? Resurrection. 
why should I, and this is my own struggle, like not fear other people? Why can I toil with wild beasts? Resurrection. They can't harm you. Will we be people of resurrection? How have you been experiencing the first fruits of resurrection, God's offering this week with your group, with your family, with your friends? One question, what is the reality of resurrection for you? What is it? How is it impacting your life, your worship, your praise, your efforts? How is it impacting your sexuality? How is it impacting your unity? How is it impacting the way that we do church? Right? We are bodies that are going to be raised. We're just going to go fall asleep for a little bit. We're going to take a nap, and we're going to wake up when Christ comes, and we're going to high-five each other, and we're going to hug each other because we have bodies we're going to say, hey, pass the salsa. (laughs) Because we're going to eat. Resurrection. Wow, resurrection is so awesome. How is it impacting your work? Man, so much we could say about resurrection. I don't know what you think about resurrection. Um, Maybe you're just hearing about resurrection for the first time. Maybe you got dragged here by a friend. Maybe you're watching online and you're like, hey, I want to experience resurrection. It starts by putting your faith in Jesus, by simply saying, Jesus, I trust you. I believe in the event that you rose from the grave. Holy Spirit, come. And you pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and I believe he will. And if you want someone to pray with you, to help you through that, we have people that are going to be standing up here. If you want to experience the first fruits of resurrection, and, and just like Peter said uh, uh, earlier today, if you have a burden, you, if you have a need, hopefully you got prayed for right then, but maybe you want to pray again. It is powerful when we pray for each other. You have another opportunity to do that right now.